Under the Helmet. You'll do your thing, all right? Don't be nervous, okay? The show that looks at long-term player value in fantasy football. It's the moment right here. We're going to have to decide what, what type of team we want to be. Building Dynasties each and every week. I don't even know your name. What's your name? Chad Parsons. I'm telling you, man, you're leading the league in hydration. I got a Dynasty team reaping rewards for the next decade. Katie Flower. You may beat me, but you will not outwork me. Tim Torch. There's only one winner, Chad. Find their written and premium audio content at uthdynasty.com. Playing it safe in Dynasty means you're going to lose. Stop talking about it, man. Let's get this going right now. Welcome to Under the Helmet. Look at some long-term player value in fantasy football. She is Katie Flower. I am Chad Parsons, official show of UTHDynasty.com. And we're, we just hit uh, this week. We're hitting 100 premium podcasts for the year. So you can get all of those episodes, a ton of deep dive into Dynasty strategy. You can try out the Dynasty trade calculator on UTH, as well as a drove of articles and metrics uh, to drive your best season yet for Dynasty, set you up for success regardless of your league uh, formats because I believe we're up to about uh, 14, 15 formats there specifically in the trade calculator, different team directions. And again, have your best dynasty season yet over there at uthdynasty.com. And Katie, we are still knee deep. I know I have a uh, this last week, it was like two different factions where now I, I would say about 50, 60% of my my dynasty leagues have drafted for their their annual rookie draft or combo rookie devi, some iteration of that. Uh, sometimes veterans are mixed in. I would hearken people to uh, you know heed if that is a part of your draft in the late rounds. That that can be the best pick available. So make sure you're up on what the actual player pool is, and you should be rounding out your target list beyond the rookie draft already anyway for your watch list. So really go into those veterans, see who is still floating out there from before the NFL draft. Maybe it's all the way from from last season, but this is all about the details because uh, sometimes this is your best chance to get undervalued players and profiles is either during your rookie draft or it's immediately following in some of those early waiver runs before August, September, we start to get some new data points there. One thing that I see a lot of new owners make as a mistake in dynasty rookie drafts is they follow the, the ADP that's in MFL and they don't have their own draft board. So I highly recommend as a UTH listener that you set your own draft board, whether you're a subscriber and you have Chad's draft board or whatever. I mean, and the draft board has tiers, so it's flexible to a certain extent. You want to get the best talent available, but if there's a tiebreaker between two guys, I'm fine with taking the one you think has the better landing spot or the more increase in value over the next 12 months. A lot of dynasty owners from my experience are not patient. They're, they're going to give up on a guy if he doesn't have a hot start, whether it's that guy's fault or not, whether it's an injury, whatever, it doesn't matter. They're going to, chase that new shiny magic coin next year. So the other thing that you can do because people are hyped up on this year's class is if you don't like the pick, trade it, trade it for a future asset, kick the can down the road, but try to get something higher than what obviously, like if you're at 2.04, you could probably get a, a 22 or a 23 first straight up for it, depending on who's there, which is another reason why 
you take best player available. In one of my drafts, the guy took Kenny Gainwell at like 202. And I knew that was my perfect opportunity because Rashad Bateman is staring me in the, in the face and I love Rashad Bateman. But before I took the pick, I made a couple of trade offers and asked around if anybody was wanting to trade for the pick. Somebody like Rashad Bateman a lot more than I did. And now Bateman's on their roster and I got a couple of future picks for it. So just be on the lookout to trade, be on the lookout to know the values but don't use MFL ADP as your ADP, no matter what, no matter what rankings you use, just don't use MFL. Well, yeah, because there's always screwball things. We've said this before about startup drafts. And really, you if you have a draft, whether you've been in the league for 10 years or it's the first off season here for your rookie draft or it's a brand new startup draft, you need to have your own board. You need to spend a few minutes. And you know, I'm, you know, if you play higher volume like Katie, myself, and, you know, some listeners do, then, you know, your investment in creating a board, like, for example, you know, I made some for, for, for UTH super fans that, uh, you know, that, that a, a start one and a super flex board. And I pretty much said, you know, you can, obviously you can adapt these if it's, you know, crazy tight end premium, or, you know, you've got other dynamics at play point per carry or whatever. So you can adapt this, but at least it's a starting point. And that's kind of what you said. It's even if you take uh, an aggregate two or three sites and you said, here's the ADP for the rookies, but still you have that list and now start tweaking it for yourself. You know, start moving players up and down. Uh, where are the tier lines? So put, even just putting those things, and like you said, you get to certain points, just being an ADP slave and being like, well, this is the next guy or, oh, he should have gone two picks ago. But if you don't really like him, that's not a good value to you. That's a good value to the person that it would be targeting that player. And now if, if their ADP is eight and they're sitting there at 10 or 11 and they're still there, that's a great pick for that other league mate, not for you. And, and what I love what you said, which is be open to all. You mentioned most of the possibilities, which is I don't think a lot of people know that when you get on the clock, many people are excited to get on the clock and pick. That's what you do in startup drafts. That's what you do in rookie drafts. You have the pick to turn it into a player. I get all that. But you also have the option before that pick even comes up, you say, ooh, I don't like the way this is breaking. There's only one or two players left and I'm five picks away that I really want. So maybe you should trade up. Maybe you should think about trading your next two picks to move up, move up a tier. It might be multiple tiers. And until that player is gone that you don't think is going to make it to you, keep making that same offer. You know, keep opening the door, knocking on that door at 105, 106, 107, just as it goes, depending on who it is. And they're still out there. So you're still making that, you're still making that offer and making an attempt. But then when you get on the clock, trade it for a veteran. You can trade back. You can trade to the future, as Katie said. You can also obviously assess the board. And before you do any of that, of getting a general price point for what how valuable the pick is now to you on the clock is you say, all right, if I stay, who would I pick? And then you say, well, now I'm trading this player for you know, the veteran, for this pick and a future pick, for just this future pick. So you go through all these iterations. And I by going through this exercise, and I do think this is the perfect class, by the way, to explore A, drafting veterans. Uh, I'm thinking like FFPC and stuff. Uh, once you get beyond the first round or two, B, looking to shop a pick 
for a veteran profile you like more that that I would say the odds are so high over the next two seasons, they help you more than the profiles and the positions you may be looking at from the mid-second round onward specifically, but sometimes even in the second round. And then the other part would be, again, looking to the future and saying, well, if the next five, six, seven players are relatively the same to me, what if you shift down four or five spots and you pick up the same round pick the next year? Like if you trade 204 for 211 and you're like, there's not going to be a big difference in player there and you pick up a second next year, then you pretty much got something for free because it's the whole operating within tiers or operating within close values theory. So I would encourage you, and I know people like to move the draft along and it'd be great you know, to say, oh, we got through you know, two rounds of the draft today. That's awesome. But keep in mind, this is the lone highlight point of the whole offseason for your league calendar. You may have a waiver run. You may have something else. You know, Trading opens. I get all that. But this is the period. This is essentially your startup draft. Every offseason, your league has a startup draft. So enjoy it. Like, Don't feel pressure. I'm not saying if it's a 12-hour clock, you got to use all 12 hours, send everybody 50 offers, and you know, and really like watch, watch highlight tapes of every single prospect left on the board. Like, I'm not saying you have to like delay the draft on purpose and stuff like that, but go through at least mentally, spend a few minutes and think about all these facets and which ones are the most appealing to you at every single spot. Now, obviously, if someone falls to you and you're like, wow, can't believe they're there, you might just want to, you know, pick the player. Uh, But other than that, be open to all those possibilities, all those decision tree branches. The other thing that I've noticed, whether it's somebody asking a question or somebody putting a poll on Twitter or an actual draft, and that is that so many people make the the rookie dynasty mistake of not double-checking your settings before evaluating and judging between two different players or two different positions. For example, I'm in a league with a bunch of other people who have dynasty content and it's a super flex league. And I've had the argument on Twitter. If, if anybody follows me on Twitter, you probably saw the big, long, continuous, uh, you know, we had the rookie mock draft live with a bunch of analysts from other sites. I was part of it. And I questioned I questioned it then and I questioned it on Twitter when people started chirping up again about it. Quarterbacks are very essential in super flex leagues, but they're not the end all be all. If you have a player that is a better player available, like last year, for example, there were three or four of the running backs. I would take over Joe Burrow any day, all day, still will, still, still feel that way. And then with Tua last year, there were a couple of other running backs and maybe even a wide receiver that I wanted to take before him. Every year is a little bit different. This year, we've got five first-round NFL quarterbacks. And to the middle of the first, the 15th overall pick, we didn't even get the Lamar Jackson, somebody sneaking in at the end of the first to get that fifth-year option. We got five quarterbacks bona fide in the first 15 picks. What does that do for Superflex rookie drafts? If you have a Superflex rookie draft where they go one through four, and then there's a little bit of a gap, and then the fifth quarterback goes off the board, that's a gift to the whole league. 
Because what you're saying to the entire league is that there is no difference between the one and the four. They're exactly the same. You take four quarterbacks in a row. The person that takes QB four assumes the highest risk, but at the same price as the guy that paid for Trevor Lawrence. Because they're all over running back one, wide receiver one, tight end one, running back two, right? Exactly. And so I'm in a league where it's tight end. And and I even asked the question on Twitter, what if it's four point quarterback throwing touchdown with a minus two for an interception? Does that change your value? No, no. Every time a quarterback is more valuable. And I don't buy that. You have to look at each league individually. So I'm sorry, but if it's four point passing touchdown, and minus two for an interception, and then even minus one for a sack, something that the quarterback doesn't even control necessarily, and you're going to gig him a point every time he gets sacked, and that's on the offensive line, that does make a difference. And then say it's two-point PPR for tight end. Which one, Chad, do you think is more the premium when there's only one tight end and there's five quarterbacks, yeah. which rookie do you think should be escalated above the others? Exactly. I mean, the drop-off from tight end one to infinity is pronounced. <laughs> the, the quarterback drop-off is less so pronounced. Right. So, And the fact that it's a best ball league means that you don't have to have a quarterback that you feel like you can plug into your starting lineup because – At that point, the system picks whoever had the best day. You don't have to worry about matchups. You don't have to worry about streaming. You don't have to worry about putting somebody into your lineup. That's done for you. We call it it the Jameis Winston and Ryan Fitzpatrick format is best ball because you get all their great games. (laughs) Exactly. But if you can have one to two quarterbacks versus one to seven tight ends and it's two-point PPR for a tight end, then I'm going to tell you, even if it's going to be in your lineup every week. Exactly. And so the more of them that you have on your best ball lineup in that format, the tight end becomes the premium more so than the quarterback. Four quarterbacks go off the board. I only had one rookie pick from the startup draft from a month ago. I got a bunch of Debbie picks, but I, I focused on just one. And a month ago, when I chose the 105, I was thinking that might be Kyle Pitts. Then Kyle Pitts blew up in the NFL draft and his landing spot. And he's been going at two. I didn't think I'd see him at five. Four quarterbacks go off the board and I scoop him up in a two-point PPR for for, uh, tight ends in a best ball format. And I said, thank you very much. So know your settings your scoring format. And if you're asking somebody for advice, would you choose this rookie versus this rookie? Give them all the information. Don't make them beg for it. Say it's a 12 team super flex, four points, minus two for interception. Just give them the the information so that you can get a good answer because the answer will change based on if you only need to start seven guys, that's very different from if you have to start 12. If you only have 25 roster spots, that's very different from if you've got 45. And if it's four point versus six point on the throwing touchdowns, minus three for an interception. I've seen minus four for an interception. I mean, some un, I mean, you can get negative quarterback scoring 
That doesn't mean that all quarterbacks are going to be valuable, only the top ones. Yeah. And between, I think our, both of our guest appearances on other podcasts or just talking to people and getting a general sense, I really do feel like the, the quote unquote young quarterback in Superflex is overrated. Uh, by the marketplace. And that is exemplified every year when you get to rookie drafts. And that's the ultimate. Well, I, I would say, I guess Debbie would be the ultimate uh, young quarterback because they still have, you know, entering the NFL and at least one season to go in college before they're there. But at least here, we know where they, where, where they're going, their NFL draft position. And here they go yet to play a snap. And it really does take, and I, I just harken back, and, and trust me, this is talking from experience. This is living it of seeing guys like, and we've said it before, you know, Mariota and Carr and Winston and, you know, those types going in the top 15 or so of startup drafts because they had a, a decent slash promising year. Baker Mayfield, same sort of thing. So, so there's danger here and you really want to wait. Like what I love is this, is that you can wait until the quarterback is a proven NFL entity, then just go buy them. Go buy them. Like right now, like I, I'm actually pretty surprised that Matt Ryan, for the fact that Atlanta did not draft a quarterback after the NFL draft, and not only did they not draft his successor that's going to push him out the door within the next two seasons, they also drafted Kyle Pitts right. to increase and boost his weaponry. So it was a, it was the most successful outcome possible for Matt Ryan, and yet you can still get him very affordably. So I know people want to run away by to to quarterbacks that are like 32, 34, 36 years old, but those are the guys that you don't have to worry about. Those are the ones where they've seen almost everything in the NFL can throw at them. Like not much truly surprises them. And so the bust risk on them is minimal. Now your question is, and it seems like people freak out more about this, of the, oh, they're, they're, they're going to fall off a cliff. Immediately, they're going to fall off a cliff and not be viable for me. Well, number one, you're getting a big discount. Even if they do, uh, you're getting some of that baked in. And number two, I think it's overrated because these quarterbacks that are 21, 22, 23, I mean, look at Sam Darnold. He was a high, high super flex pick. So we are what is it? Three seasons in, right? And he's been traded. So that's not a great thing. Typically, young franchise quarterbacks don't get moved, overtly moved in the NFL. So he's off to a new team. You still haven't got much bang for your buck yet from him. Three seasons, uh, time value of, of the roster spot, plus a high first rookie draft investment. And this whole time, again, getting a quarterback at especially in their 30s. You don't get a whole lot of discount in their late 20s. But so my whole reaction to this is like, so you're you're high in the first round. And first of all, you shouldn't be saying, I need quarterback. I hate that, first of all. But let's say you're you're locked in. You're like, oh, well, that I'm going to get, you know, I, I got to get myself Trey Lance or Justin Fields or Zach Wilson or whatever that you say, oh, I got to get it. Well, I bet you, you could easily mitigate your risk you could probably get something in addition by getting a Matt Ryan, a Matthew Stafford, even, uh, you know, somewhere in that range of we, they have been there and done that. And you could probably get something on top. And all of a sudden you've got somebody that the, the, the bust risk, the floor is mitigated. The, the bust risk is low. The floor is very high of your range of outcomes over the next two to three seasons, where what you always say is, 
hey, let's let's play this out over the next three, four, five years. And two or three of these top five are probably we're gonna look back and be like, I can't believe they people paid top five rookie picks for him. I can't believe it. They could have drafted Najee Harris. Look what he's done for three years. Look what track Kyle Pitts is on or Jamar Chase or whatever. Like the the bust risk is a lot lower at especially round one tight ends, round one running backs, round one wide receivers are still relatively risky. But just I think everyone fantasizes about what the best case scenario is with these quarterbacks. Zach Wilson is a mini Mahomes and Trey Lance and Justin Fields. Guess what they're going to be? They're going to be, you know, Cam Newton's and Lamar Jackson types of just anywhere and everywhere running the ball. And they're going to be at least decent passing the ball. And yes, these are best case scenario outcomes, but best case doesn't happen all the time. And certainly to all five guys, it's not going to happen. So just be careful because the downside is you have someone like Sam Darnold, like you know these quarterbacks that two, three years in, you're just kind of cringing and saying, "Man, I, you know, I've gotten a couple QB two type seasons. I really haven't gotten what I'm looking for, and now I don't have market liquidity. They are on the tarnished uh, spectrum, and so in your mind's eye, you're like, "Oh, I'm going to get the next first round startup pick." Well, you're paying relatively high. Like that is some margin, but I mean, because 104 is not going for, you know, first round startup valuation, but it's not that far off, you know, in quarterback land. And when you start stacking up 12, 14, 16 guys in the first two, two and a half rounds. So just be careful because you're paying full freight and quarterback of these top guys with, with elite pedigree at their respective positions that quarterback has the diciest slippery slope that they can fall down within the first couple of years if the NFL team or you and your league mates don't start seeing it pretty quickly. Even guys like Aaron Rodgers, because of his deal, they're getting faded. And Russell Wilson, he's getting unsexy and very affordable. And Deshaun Watson, because of the question marks, 25 years old, and he's being sold at a discount rate. And you can, you can turn any one of those rookie quarterbacks into multiple assets that can really shore up your team. Whether you go for, let's say you go for Russell Wilson plus or some other quarterback plus and get a package that is workable and less risky. I love the upside of Justin Fields. I love Justin Fields. But if I have the opportunity to flip him for a safer package, and it, there's no such thing totally as, and no, nothing is bulletproof or guaranteed safe, but by spreading it to two or three assets, it helps to mitigate, it, it gives you more chances to hit and mitigate that risk. Yeah, and I just I remind people when you when you sit here and say that you think so and so is going to be oh they're going to be a top five dynasty quarterback. Well, at some point you have to produce that way, right? At some point, I mean, yes, you can get by a lot of times. You know, like Trevor Lawrence, you know, right now is in that QB six seven eight range. So yes, he has some latitude of year one. The expectation of that valuation is not that he's going to produce in the top eight. So he doesn't necessarily to stay around that zone. He just has to show, you know, promise, for example. But 
you know, when you say, oh yeah, they're going to produce in the first couple of years at some point, you know, in the top six. Well, keep in mind some of the guys they have to leapfrog. So you can say this, but it is always, you know, the relative landscape of the position as well. You have the player themselves, but then you also say, like, that's why, you know, if you sit here and say, well, I think Najee Harris is going to be the number one overall running back. Well, he's got to have shed Christian McCaffrey, right? You know, he's got to shed a few of these other guys. So just keep that in mind. So Patrick Mahomes is sitting there in the throne. So for you to say that he's going to be number one in a season, and yeah, that's possible, right? I mean, you can have these one-off seasons, but like you've got Dak Prescott, Josh Allen, uh, Kyler Murray runs around a ton. Justin Herbert, look what he did last year. This is just four, five, six guys. Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson when he plays, Lamar Jackson, Aaron Rodgers. So that's just to get into the top eight. You've got to start passing guys like that as a yet-to-play, green behind the ears, not saying you can't do it, but you also have to look at you could be off to a good career start and still firmly be behind all of those guys in terms of what you did in your first year, what you're projected to do in year two. So the landscape of the position, yes, we're getting some fall-off guys, but you know what? Tom Brady, we haven't seen a whole lot of fall off. I think a lot of people thought he'd be he'd be out of there. So, you know, by this point, if you rewound 24 months, Drew Brees, yes, he is gone. Uh, ben Roethlisberger, not so much a factor anymore, but he's on his last legs. Uh, Rivers is gone. But again, but you mentioned Aaron Rodgers and some of these older guys. Matt Ryan's only 36. Like we're not over the next two to three years. I don't think we're getting a lot of turnover. Like Brady is really the one guy that you see, you might see age out you know, and, and be gone by, by that point in time. But this is a relatively young, robust position. And yeah, 35 and under is still young at the, at the NFL position because, because they are protecting quarterbacks. So if you can be decisive from the pocket, that's where you're protected. Lamar Jackson, sorry, you're not protected. Josh Allen, when you start running it like a freight train, Cam Newton, like a running back, you are not protected. You are under NFL running back rules, which is Almost anything goes. Let's be fair. Um, but but in the pocket, within those white lines, you are protected. So a lot of these quarterbacks that have refined their game as a passer that are going to be protected and probably not you know two or three graphic injuries and all of a sudden their careers at a physical crossroads at twenty eight or thirty. Uh, you know that that is not going to be a major factor for for most of these players so just keep that in mind that so oh i think trey lance is going to be a top five fantasy quarterback well of the guys i just named he's passing at least half of them so keep that in mind that that the landscape of the position and i don't know how you come down on this katie but the risk of quarterback and again i usually set myself up in the veteran variety but i cannot in good conscience pass up round one running backs which i know the historical hit rate I like both of their profiles in Harrison Etienne, and I'm finding tremendous. You mentioned with Kyle Pitts how you found value. I've found myself into plenty of Harrison Etienne shares at their various price points, and sometimes in Superflex, Etienne is out there at like eight or nine. I mean, it's it's ridiculous sometimes, but round one running backs hit a lot, and so the risk of quarterback this year is pronounced. That I am just 
that is one hill that I'm not going to roll down and and kind of be with the masses. Like I did, and I know you've done on the, the various things where they start drafting rookies and devies and like things like that, like combo drafts, like mock draft style on podcasts. Quarterbacks just go anywhere and everywhere. And it's like, are we serious? Like they'll be passing on round one running backs this year for Devi quarterbacks for next year. And I'm like, are we serious with the downside you are taking onto your roster and your portfolio by making that bet even once, let alone three, four, five times as a decision that you make as a pattern as a dynasty owner? Yeah. And I've, through my numerous teams per season and the number of seasons that I've played dynasty, I've learned that if you've got two or three decent quarterbacks in a 12-team Superflex, that's plenty. There are some people that say that you have to have more. It's nice to have a few more, but not at the end-all, be-all and cost of construction for the rest of your team. I take try to take best player available regardless of position, although with an eye on the positional scarcity. And if there's a tiebreaker and it goes towards like tight end premium, then that's the tiebreaker. But it's just blanket statements in dynasty don't work. In my opinion, you've got to look at all the strategy of the, the scoring, how many people in the lineup, how deep are the rosters. There's so many factors when it comes to which rookie should I pick? And I'm also not averse. I don't know about you, Chad, but I'm not averse. If there's a guy at 201 that I target in one draft, they're going to be my target in pretty much every draft. Like, I don't care if I've got 50 shares of the same player. If I feel that player is the best player available, I'd steal at that price tag, whether it's 201, 208, wherever it is. I'm not worried about loading up and having too many shares of a, of a player. How about you? Yeah, same thing. Um, I haven't, I, I'm only, I think I only did the first bucket, which was about 12. I only track the rookie only ones that are truly static. You know, you get depleted formats or combo with Debbie or things like that, that uh, it can kind of skew because some players aren't even available. So you get a, a zero credit in that league when you really didn't have a shot at them. So um, yeah, I mean, I usually get up to uh, the first tracking I did, which was through 12 drafts. Now I'm through about maybe 25 drafts um, and I haven't uh, input, you know, all my picks for the for the next batch but um i i do etn was my most owned uh i had trey sermon you know at like four or five x of what i consider average ownership so that would be eight percent of leagues uh you know for stock 12 teams um but but yeah etn was always that guy that i was like oh he's slipping he's not going behind javante williams i think he went behind javante williams one draft that i saw but the differential between uh harris for example going at outside of quarterbacks he's going at you know the first or second player off the board typically with him and Jamar Chase or maybe you get a Kyle Pitts thrown in there with rare occasion but um but yeah I, I just like the arbitrage and the fact that you know people are talking down ETN's uh landing spot so I'm always like uh kind of my ears perk up when it's like I look at profiles I like and and how are folks reacting when you know if the situation or the storylines around players that really don't have to do with their draft position or their profile as a prospect, that's when I think the true value presents itself um, is when you can get the profiles and you let the situation work its way out a- as it will. Because again, players 
you know, have to be good enough to take advantage of a situation. And if they're bad, they could, they could, again, they could, uh, fumble away and poor play away, uh, whatever good situation or op- early opportunity we think is present because they're going to have to earn it through practice reps, training camp, preseason, and then in-game in the regular season and continue earning that trust through positive performance. So um, yeah, so ETN has been a big one for me. And I would say I've actually done a decent amount trading up upwards and tear jumping because Trey Sermon has been more affordable than I was expecting. That was another one. One thing, and so I, you know, add on, you know, whether it's a, a target player that you found yourself getting a number of shares or maybe someone missing out on, one thing that has disappointed me a little bit, I thought that I would have a few more shares of the combo of Rondell Moore and Terrace Marshall. I like both players. Um, but in that zone, I've typically been using a pick in that zone to move up or move out or something like that uh, to greener pastures where I've been able to move up for you know those higher tier players of you know the top three or four of Harris Pitts, ETN, Chase, uh, you know, sermon guys like that. So I've been vacating that zone. So that's the biggest reason why I don't have more shares. But I thought in, you know, if you had asked me the Saturday or Sunday weekend where it's like, oh yeah, Rondell Moore will be available, you know, readily in round two, early in round two, you know, I would guess I would have a lot of shares. Um, but I really just have not had enough picks in that zone that I haven't utilized maybe to get what I consider a much preferable tier jump in, in round one. Um, so that's one thing personally that surprised me that I have maybe two or three shares of Rondell Moore slash Terrace Marshall, but lower than I would have expected. Yeah, um, I, I see that too, but there's a lot of drafts still yet to go. And I would imagine that you're not going to trade up in every single one of them. One of the things that I saw, I, I've been saying this was a bad, bad running back class for a long time. And that after the top three, put them in a bag, shake them up, spit them out. And and that's pretty much how it's going to end up because they each have a skill set, but not a bell cow specific type. The ones I'm seeing pressed up the board differ from the ones I predicted beforehand because they didn't get the draft capital. So Kenny Gainwell, Kenneth Gainwell is not a Fugazi as far as He's going much later in drafts, and it's because he didn't get the the great landing spot or the draft capital. I feared that some running back would get pushed up the board, and who that is is Michael Carter. That's from what I'm seeing. Uh, Trey Sermon kind of deserves to be up there. I'm still not 100% sold on that, but I I can kind of squint and see it. But Michael Carter, I just can't even squint and see it. And then I also thought that Kadarius Tony, because of his first round draft capital, would get pushed up the board. I still see him sliding to the back half of the second, late second in Superflex. And that's okay. You know, a player that slides that far at some point does become the value. But if you've got to take him at 110, 111, 112, I don't care with the first round pedigree. That is a guy that's an avoid player. But if you can get him one full round later, depending on who else is on the board, that's a that's a decent bet, a decent value, at least to maybe make him flippable because of that first round NFL draft capital. 
Yeah, the funny thing is I've seen, you know, drafts where it's like in some order, Kadarius Tony and Amon Ross St. Brown go either back to back at the wide receiver position, really close, you know, right there in the mid to late second round. And it's hilarious because you basically have a day three wide receiver pushed up by situation. Oh, Detroit's wide open. He's going to see a ton of targets right away. You know, there's their wide receiver one type type feel or type dialogue to it. And then on the flip side, you have, well, you know, uh, Kadarius Tony, that's a horrible landing spot, horrible player, even though all we heard about him for four months was how good Kadarius Tony was, right? Like, wow, so dynamic. Look at this guy. He's uncheckable. He's going to go in the first round. And then he goes to the Giants, and apparently that's viewed as horrible. And uh, so let's fade him as much as we faded any round one wide receiver in recent memory uh, in said draft. So uh, it's interesting to see the two of those go back to back, or I, I can't recall if I've seen one draft where Monroe St. Brown went ahead of him. But that's the ultimate, like, you're a completely ignoring draft pedigree, and you absolutely should not when you're talking about that graphic of a difference. We're not talking Kadarius Tony versus, you know, Rondell Moore drafted, you know, in the, the mid to earlier second round. I mean, that's, that's a much closer variance than round one to round four. So, so just be careful of, of like you said, uh, too far, because round one provides you with opportunities that round three, round four, round five does not. So, so you get more tiebreakers. We've seen it with guys like Tavon Austin, and uh, you know, even from these these guys that didn't ultimately work out. Uh, you know, Tavon Austin or Ted Ginn, for example. You keep getting more opportunities, and that probably means, again, to some degree, you're a better player. You were drafted in round one. You know, I'm sure there's teams that didn't have a top 50 grade on Kadarius Tony or, or things, but plenty would have taken him in the first two rounds. And so for Kadarius Tony, he's going to get a lot of opportunities, even if he's a slow starter, uh, to work his way up a depth chart, see opportunity, and like you said, turn into a, a flip player uh, compared to his price. There's more margin worked into that. One thing that we mentioned last week, and I want to remind listeners again this week, and that is because of the COVID year, there were a lot of teams that didn't get to get out to the college football field and scout live and talk to players. And because of that reason, we have the senior bowl syndrome guys that were at the senior bowl that got to be interviewed, that got to be met face to face, rose up draft boards, Eskridge, Josh Palmer. I mean, I see these guys drafted over some of the guys that are innately better athletes, better, more talented, that slid a little bit. And part of that was just they didn't ever get to meet them. And I'm not 100% sure that draft capital, the difference between a second round and a third or fourth or fifth round pick this year is, I think, a little more uh, – Nuance. latitude than in recent past or even in, in the historic market. So really, if there's a player that I like and he's round four compared to round two, I'm not sure that matters as much this year. Yeah, I do think you have to be aggressive because I've seen a bigger range, you know, especially when you get beyond the top. I would say the top 15 to 18 players that go off the board it's usually the same names. 
you know, in some order. Uh, but but you get beyond that, and the wheels come off. You know that in terms of what you expect to see, I've seen a like a round range of guys like Chuba Hubbard, for example. Amari Rogers is all over the place. Uh, Kenny Gainwell as well. I mean, he fell to a point where it's like even I was, even Jordan and I were considering him, and we're not big fans. It's like oh, this, is, this is a little intriguing at this point, you know, because he does have some name cachet uh, that if he does pop a little bit. Um, so yeah, keep all those things in mind. And, and again, my last point here, and I'll pass it to you, Katie is for the, for the week is going to be all options. You know, think of, think of your, your decisions, like a spider, a spider web. And I think too often we get pigeonholed into thinking I have to like your plan. A might be to trade this pick. And I want to trade back exactly three spots because there's three players on my board. And I would love to pick up the last one of those and get, a third or get a third next year or get a, a player add on, or you may have in your mind eye what mind's eye, what the perfect deal is, but that may not happen. That may not work. So during your pick clock, you need to explore multiple different angles and that might be trading back that and you send offers that are acceptable in that fashion. You might be sending back, sending out offers to trade out. You might be sending offers for veterans, explore all those angles all at once because in a four, six, eight hour, 12 hour clock, you need to refine all of this. Because like I said, this is basically our off season Super Bowl. This is your best chance to make liquid deals. Rookie picks are liquid in the sense that you can trade the pick like a startup draft and they can pick a completely different player than you were going to pick. So make sure you outline what your plan A is, but make sure you're also working on plan B and C either immediately following you send out 10 offers. That's plan a, but you might also, after you get four five, six of those back, you leave the other ones out there, but now you start working on plan B and C, or like I do. Sometimes you send all of those out at the same time with the same team. You might say, okay, I'll, I'll trade back from 202 to 207. And at the same point, I'll trade 202 for this veteran wide receiver. I'll trade 202 on my player to get an upgrade to whatever this other player is. You can send all those offers at once to the same team, or you can do it in stages. But again, enjoy the process, enjoy your pick clock, have a plan, and then execute on said plan and know that the worst case scenario is you sticking and picking and making the best choice you possibly can. And my best advice from what I've seen just in the last week or two, just a constant reminder that if for some reason somebody snipes you, do not try to trade for that player because once that player is owned goes up by, by the other guy, the value goes through the roof and you don't want to make it seem like you got sniped. Just like the deodorant commercial, never let like them poker. see you sweat. Never let them see you sweat. So don't even mention it at the time. Play cool. There's always going to be, there usually always is going to be a secondary buy opportunity, whether the guy gets injured or has a rough rookie camp or whatever the case may be. Just keep your eye on them for the future but don't pay top value just because he got taken a pick or two, or maybe you got cute and traded back and then you got sniped, whatever the case may be. This is not the time to try to buy that player. That's a great point. Yeah. I'm glad you included that because our whiplash can be like, you're trying to right a wrong, but that, that inflation is going to be so pronounced. And I know we want to get the player from, you know, when they're first stepping on to our dynasty league field 
and it's right when they're available in the rookie draft or Debbie draft or whatever. And we want to be the smartest person in the room. But like Katie said, there's probably going to be a moment where they're going to be the same price or less. And it's not going to be right after they're picked by the other person. Uh, so yeah, you, you mentioned a slow start. What if they start out wide receiver four on the depth chart, you know, for September before working their way up? Uh, you know, it could be a slow hole. Rookie season could be an injury. So keep all that in mind. Those are great points there. Um, so Katie is at on Twitter at FF underscore Skylar399. Uh, I would I would say, whether it's just sending out questions to Katie or myself, the more relevant info of depth of league, uh, notable changes in starting lineup, uh, applicable scoring for the positions involved. Um, those types of information uh, is really helpful because I find, especially with rookie drafts or like especially rookie pick trades, uh, the more information we have, the more informed and better answer we can provide because you have all the nuances of your league. We do not. Uh, so that's what I would say in terms of uh, getting getting assistance, uh, extra information is certainly appreciated. Do want to remind you uh, to support this show. No advertising. You had a straight run of listening to Dynasty content here with Katie and I. Patreon.com slash UTH is another way uh, to pay it forward with just a few bucks a month, and you'll get additional bonus content. It's not just a donation. Uh, you become a patron. You become a supporter of, of Tim Torch and myself on the weekly show. I do a bunch of bonus shows. You get additional content. There's a VI IP chat. Uh, and also you uh, get involved. You get a free entry to the UTH best ball contest on an annual basis. So plenty of perks there at patreon.com slash UTH and the official show of UTHdynasty.com. I am Chad Parsons. And until next time, never settle, refuse to be average and keep building those dynasties.